Yo, welcome to another episode of the Where It Went podcast, where we are still discussing the Revelation Records discography in chronological order. And I got to tell you, this this episode, I'm uh, out of my element in more ways than one. I showed up to record this, and I, I didn't do my homework. I listened to the wrong album by this <laughs> band, and Greg is like, what? So, Jason, Yo. tell the people what we are talking about today, <laughs> because I, do, I didn't even know until I showed up. Well... This week, we are talking about the Nerve Agent self-titled record that came out in 1998. This is Revelation Records number 73. So, Jason, guess what I did? You Just listened to Days the White Out. I sure did. <laughs> I listened Dave. to me and Me and little Chris listened to it in the car uh, when we were driving around for the Indecision 30, because I had never heard it before. And No spoilers. No spoilers. I listened to it again today. Huh? And then showed up here. I guess I didn't realize there was more than one Nerve Agents record on Revelation Records. So uh, this will be a, a fun, a, a fun time for everyone. But before we get into the real fun and games, let's just fucking dive right on in. And yeah, what do we, what do we want to give a bit up bow today? I'll do it so Jason's not uncomfortable. Kick it. Thank you. Um, bit of bow to. Uh, Vinyl Conflict, who just re- announced the uh, reissue of the Four Walls Falling Culture Shock. I feel like this is a travesty to have you talking about this because you've never heard the record. Which is insane. Greg, that it, is insane. Unreal. We should do one of those like a, like a reaction. Uh-huh. We, we a live a reaction. When you listen to, yeah, when you listen to it for the party. first time. Hey, so, so listen – Vinyl Conflict Records in Richmond, Virginia has done an amazing job reissuing one of my favorite hardcore records of all time, y'all, with artwork done by our very own Jason Mazzola. As of this week, it's up for pre-order from Vinyl Conflict. You can order a couple of different colors and a shirt on maybe the best brand of all time also comfort colors, which I'm excited about. And then to tie it all in a bow revelation records, RevHQ.com has an exclusive color, which I imagine is probably sold out by oh, now. I thought you were going to say it's yellow. It's not, no, yellow. it's not yellow. No, it's oddly, not. <clears throat> which, uh, Hey, I, someone, someone dropped the ball on that one, I guess, or not red, white, and blue, right. Yeah, to keep red, it, white, to and keep blue it. is sick to keep it with the original. So I ordered one of the rev. I don't need four copies of this record on this reissue. So I just ordered one. I ordered the rev one because it's the most rare. And I ordered a shirt from final conflict and it's remastered, which is great because if you listen to the original version on streaming, it's a little quiet. So this one be on streaming, Jason. That I don't know. I'm not sure. They might well, not have. The I'll right. just have might, to. Yeah. Hopefully, it comes with the download code, and I can put it on my <laughs> iPod. Otherwise, I'm going to have to bother someone for the wave files so that I can convert it and do it myself because it needs. I, I need to listen to it in my car. Yeah, 
So it was remastered by Dan Randall at Mammoth Sound. And then there were a bunch of people that did write-ups for the Culture Shock reissue. It's got Randy from Lamb of God, Thomas, Thomas from Strike Anywhere and Inquisition, Darren Walters, Tim McMahon, and then Dave Brown, who helped, uh, really helped contribute a ton of the photos that are in there. So I really did the best I could to try to make it a Richmond centric reissue that. Mm, yeah. Hopefully, I, I can see why they didn't contact the super fan here dude. To, to throw the two cents in. Maybe, maybe I should shine maybe. on it. What's it sound like? <laughs> Listen, I was, I, I put, no, I seriously, this, I'm dead. I'm dead. Serious. I played this record. Compare my friend, somebody. my friend, David Tartaglia, a uh, bit at bow to Tucson hardcore. And he had never heard it before. And we listened to it, uh, all the way through on a drive and he was super stoked on it. I think that it's like, so it came out in 91 originally, 90, 91. Some of these 90, some of these songs dating back to the 87 demo. If I have to think about it off the top of my head and it sounds like, like late eighties, East coast, hardcore. There's some solos in there. It's kind of melodic. It's fast. It's not hard, but it's also not super youth crewy. It's got a ton of backup, like big, big backup vocals. And what really sets it apart for me is the socio-political lyrics and some of the themes that are on this record, which were not being talked about. It's not like you fucking stab me in the back. It's like you're racist and I'm not going to excuse it. The rainforests are dying. It's like, it's, uh, it's, it's yeah. lyrically and thematically, it's much heavier than what was coming out at the time, I believe. I think anyone that picks up the reissue, I would hope that you read along with the lyrics when you yes. listen to it. Yes. Because the sure. lyrics are sadly still relevant. Uh-huh. And really, when I was going through and retyping out the lyrics, I was just thinking how good they are. I know I've talked about it before, but it's almost got this kind of hip-hop cadence to some of them yeah i don't know it's just it's just it's a great record honestly uh-huh. and that's not just because i'm from richmond and it's in my dna but mm-hmm. it's just something if you don't know you should listen to greg pollard <laughs> hey fat, the, some of the songs the drumming is super fast and technical and then out of nowhere there's just like a fucking blistering solo <laughs> fucking shredding it's great. It's great. It's great. Greg, what were you going to say? You looked like you were going to break in and say something. I was going to ask who, what, what the other, like Taylor, I know was the singer and uh-huh. I mean, I've known him online for years. Nice guy. Hilarious. Um, very funny guy for sure. Yeah. He was on the Dagnasty board way, like way back. That's how I first uh, got to know him. Who else was in the group? Did anybody go on to anything else? I don't think so. I'm going to feel bad if I'm incorrect on that, but I know that they went through a lot of lineup changes to tour. It as was the style at the time. Yes. So uh, I would recommend a discography challenge for you, Greg, because they, where they started and where they ended is wildly different I've hey, heard things about food for worms. Food right? for that- worms. I, I, 
I can almost picture you liking food for worms more. <laughs> I heard it sounds like Alice in Chains. As, as am I making that up? Did somebody? Is that um, what it sounds like? I don't know about that, but it's not my favorite. No, if I'm being real, I don't listen to that one a lot. But I've had a lot of people tell me that it held up really well, and I should go back and revisit it. Uh, Patient Zero Records did a cassette. That's basically food for worms on one side and then uh, the burn it seven inch and the European seven inch on one cassette. And so you have everything kind of that's not on culture shock is on this one cassette. And um, it's just it, it is really wild to see. I would in, in my in my dumb brain, I kind of compare it to super touch in a way. Would you, Jason? The culture shock record? No, no, no. Uh, food for worms. Oh, food for worms. I'm sorry. I don't. I can see that. I like it's know. it's like leaning towards post hardcore and like I maybe he's been drinking all night. I I don't know about that. Yeah. Did you ever hear Joy Burner? No. Okay. Joy Burner was the band after Four Walls, and it's really kind of. Food for Worms and Joy Burners, from what I remember, sound very similar. Was that Taylor in Joy Burners? Yeah, so Taylor sang for oh, Joy no, Burners. I never heard of that. Is that kind yeah. of like Turning Point and uh, what was the Godspeed? Godspeed. Godspeed, yeah. 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 Kind of similar. Dude, yeah, I loved Godspeed. I thought Godspeed was awesome. But I digress. Yeah, I mean, Culture Shock. Greg, give it a listen. Shock. And then next episode, let's talk about it. Hey, he's being real stubborn about it. He's like taking a page out of my book. I was just gonna say, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I know. being super but, resistant, but, but and then he's the gonna he's gonna hear that and be like, "You were right this whole time, man." Well, the, the, the difference is, is like hearing you guys talk about it makes me want to listen to it. Unlike, you know, you have. Where I'm I like, was thinking today about uh, if, something. If you guys and, all love it, I'm going to hate it. <laughs> I was thinking about something today, and I almost texted you and said, I wish you were normal because I wanted to recommend <laughs> something to you. Uh, I was like, there's no way Hav wouldn't like this. What was and it? And then I was like, I'm not even going to say, but um, <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I think he would really dig this. And I'm like, Please no, say it. he's not normal. Hey, I was listening to a track on the new, um, the newest Always record, and like the guitar straight up johnny marr jangly smithsy stuff and i was like i feel like hob would dig this with like female vocals and then i was like nope, i'm sounds, not gonna bother hey, everything you just said sounds like nothing i want to hear solo johnny marr nope hard pass i didn't mean solo johnny marr i mean the way that he the plays jangly uh, yeah um jason today someone in a group chat was like Oh, do you like this band? And I was like, no, nah, the only uh, grocery list core band I like is Gel. Uh, the three letter, the three yeah, letter the hardcore three bands letter that hardcore. I love. Grocery list core. Yes. So, anyway, uh, Jason, do you have anything else to bid up while we're here shouting it? Hey, speaking of Vinyl Conflict, we I ran into Cole when he was on tour with Firestarter. And oh, nice. Cool. So, Coops. bid up to Cole. Bid up yeah. to Coops. Good kids. Oh. Hey, Firestarter and Major Pain stateside there's some uh real nice kids coming up in in and around orange county and los angeles and the inland empire high desert area southern california it's it they're they're doing some really cool stuff so bit up bow to all those guys awesome absolutely yeah i i just want to give a bit up bow real quick to my dude clint billington uh friend of the pod um 
Revelation employee, former Victory Records employee. I talked to him on the phone today, and it was just nice to catch up with an old friend. Uh, we talked we talked some Chicago hardcore, and it was it was nice. So, anyway. so like uh, Fall Out Boy, and yeah, 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 nice hardcore adjacent. Yeah, <laughs> um, I guess I wanted to give a quick bit of bow. I know we like to keep the intro short, but people can fast forward. Just um, to you know a a podcast uh that we all have listened to uh you don't know mojack more so because i was thinking like hopefully this is how people see our podcast where like i'll get on a kick of something and then i'll be like oh i want to hear about it and then i'll go back and i'll find the mojack episode and i'll listen to it so and i just you know obviously that was a huge inspiration for the idea for this pod and those guys do it real well. They've been at it for a long time and just wanted to give them a bit yeah, of, saw- they're always super kind to us. They I think they just put out an episode this week, a me puppets record. Um, but I went back and listened to like all the St. Vitus episodes because I've been on a, a kick of them and it's just cool to have. I think what they're doing is important. So I guess de facto, I feel like I'm saying like what we're doing is maybe mm. important. I've heard, I've had people tell me that, that what we're doing is important to them at, at yeah. least. Yeah. So two things with that is, uh, one, I saw someone post this week that they were binging on our podcast and they were especially stoked on the inside out episodes. So that's cool. There's a lot of information there for people. And then two, I think maybe my favorite uh, Mojack episodes are the ones about bad brains and HR. There's a lot of information. They have really cool interviews, especially the uh, HR solo stuff, the singing in the heart and those kind of episodes. I really yeah. enjoyed the the lore. And that actually put me in touch with them. And they talked, you know, about us and our, our pod and me because I had some shinfo to give to them. So yeah, yeah I just great, think they set they set the bar mm-hmm. to me of like, you know, this kind of podcast. And again, I saw too what you said, what you saw with the inside out. And sometimes we forget, I feel like, because we think that everybody that listens to this times episode has listened to everyone. And they maybe haven't. There's people that don't even know we exist. So it's kind of cool when people stumble upon it and they can go back and listen and it's all there. You know, we don't put any of our episodes main channel on a, you know, behind a paywall. And if some podcasts like only let you have the first, you know, or the, the last what 50 or something, and then you got to pay like, but what so- we do do, if you want to help us out on Patreon, you can go to whereitwentpodcast.com. And if you do support us through Patreon, you do unlock bonus material. So we're not hiding any of our actual episodes, but you get sometimes over an hour of just us talking, talking to friends, talking to, you know, the McTurnans or whoever it happens to be about these records. And I think those are some of the most like, it's like, you know, when you're just in a parking lot or on a couch after a show and you're just talking with your friends about hardcore, like that's what it reminds me of. And so you get to be a fly on the wall for those conversations. And sometimes it's it's parts of interviews with guests that are on the main channel that just didn't fit with, you know, 
fit with the record mm-hmm. that we're talking about. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we give it to the patrons. Mm-hmm. So you get bo- bonus content. Every episode, there's bonus content. Every episode, there's bonus content. There's at least an hour an episode minimum of bonus content. Now that I say that, we're going to have to talk for an hour. Shit. I know. Sure. All right. Let's get, <laughs> let's get into it. Let's time. It, it is time to. Can I kick it? Kick it. Kick it. So we'll, we'll start now. Our, our guest is here. So I'm from Philly. So we're going to start right now. So we're here with Eric. Eric, I've always wondered what's the proper way to pronounce your last name because people always say Pollard for me. It's Pollard. So I figured yeah, I'll no, allow, allow you the chance you on air. Yeah, it's to, Ozine. Ozine. So I've been pronouncing yeah. it correctly for 25 years, which is, yes, is good. Good job. And we're here with <laughs> my friend and yours, uh, Ben Merlis um he's been on which, here which on. i'm i'm really stoked to have you on here ben this is great thanks Love i'm stoked it. to be here um yeah and i wanted to throw out too like you know for this podcast we really dive into the to the records part there was an incredible episode of 185 miles south that uh oh yeah ben, were you were you on that ben or maybe you were on the patreon one with me so this is how much i like Eric's your bands is that Zach had said, Hey, we're going to do like a Patreon episode kind of talking about the, you know, the main episode with Eric. So I got to be on that. So listen for a really comprehensive history of your bands. (laughs) Check that episode episode out. (laughs) It's awesome. So for me, we were talking before we started about our first exposure to nerve agents. Um, you know, as you can tell from my terrible accent, I'm from Philadelphia, suburbs, but, uh, you know, close enough. And somebody that I'm about to pop in this room was super responsible for getting the nerve agents over here like three or four summers in a row. I felt like it wasn't summer until nerve agents. So we have my dear friend, first time on the pod, Robbie Red Cheeks. Oh, it actually was my first time on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Robbie, what's up? What's up, man? We literally just doing? talked like maybe like I don't know, sometime this past year, for like a mm-hmm. second. For a second. <laughs> so I was basically like, <laughs> so good to see you, man. How's I was going, like, man? Robbie. Yeah. I mean, for me being f- from this area, Robbie was. I could talk. I could do a whole episode, and probably will just with Robbie about booking all the rev bands from, you know, in the late nineties and two thousands. But I was like, nerve agents is one for whatever reason. I can't listen to them and think about them without associating with Robbie and bringing them over here. So I hit him up (laughs) and he was like, fuck yeah, I'll come on and talk about nerve agents. So he (laughs) said, Robbie was so instrumental in us coming over there and just, uh, Robbie, I don't know. It feels like you and I were so connected back then to to just all those happenings, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's funny. Like I, when Greg approached me with this, I was thinking about like you know how that first like I, so people probably don't know. I booked the first East Coast tour of Nerve Agents, and maybe like 
two and or two and a half total <laughs> um, <laughs> as a as a booking agent. And uh, the way the first one happened was I was working up in New York with uh, Tim Bohr booking you know uh, tours for bands, hardcore bands. And Rev had sent me a package with the new Nerve Agents record, the first one, and then where 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 Fear and Weapons meet. And I put it in the Nerve Agents, and within like ten minutes of the like beginning of the record, I called Rev, and I probably talked to Veek or somebody, I don't know, um, Adam, somebody, and uh, I was like, "Yo, this band Nerve Agents, do they want to play the East Coast? Like, I'll book them a tour." And uh, by the time, like within an hour, Eric had called me. And we like hashed out uh, uh, the first tour, and that's like how the first tour happened. It was just such a yeah. sporadic, like "fuck, I need to see this band." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was and, you know back then too. Like I was just doing anything I could get my hands on, and of course, you know, I think you and I really connected around just hardcore in general, and and yeah. just you know we we'd been around for a little bit at that point, right? And right. yeah. It, that was that was perfect too to come in through you to come in and play those shows like that was wonderful for for the nerve agents that first tour actually every east coast tour we did was just wonderful but you know um i remember that that early one <laughs> there were some <laughs> some cool shows man and it's funny like you know out of all the the shows i you know the the, the two or two and a half tours i booked for you over here like i would always put you on multiple shows in philadelphia because mm -hmm. like <laughs> but I would book you with like, you know, you'd play two shows in one week because I had to fill in holes for the tour. But mm -hmm. I would put you with like the Boils and like Violent Society on one. Yeah. And then put you with like hardcore bands and the Explosion on another. Yeah. And like, really was able to, you're like the only band that really fit right down the middle and fit both. Perfect. Yeah. And Robbie was, has yeah, the this... receipts. He's got the flyers, which will, <laughs> for those listening, we're I'm, we're, we're going to, we'll share those on the socials because it really took me back and seeing, I was like two shows in one day or like right. back to back, but they were different <laughs> enough where you could it attract worked. a different crowd. And it, and yeah. that's exactly what happened was just like, you know, we'd have like, you know, Liberty Spikes at one show and people moshing at the other, you know, like. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, so true. What was what was the record store that we would play? That oh my god! Tiny that, that literally is one of the craziest shows I've ever done. So this was at, yeah. at CI Records on the yeah, second CI. floor in this little room, like literally like the size of like a large bedroom, and <laughs> yes. it was you guys and the explosion. Yeah. And there were seventy five people paid, and I was downstairs watching the the beams like go <laughs> up and down by like four to six inches from people just going nuts. Oh, that was man. the stuff of legend. I didn't, because I didn't drive yeah. then. I didn't make it to that one. My first Nerve Agent show was you guys hopped on that tour, or at least the show in Philly. And I'm assuming, Robbie, you did this at the kill time, the Saves a Day, Far Side, Fast Break, and Nerve Agents opened the show. Oh, really? I don't think I did that because I don't think I ever booked Far Side. Okay. I remember the kill time show. It was, yeah. I don't remember the bill in total, but I think a couple of those bands were on that. But yeah, I remember playing there. We we did play low on that, but you know, we were we were a newer band too. Those first two, I mean, ninety nine, two thousand when we came out there on those on those two first tours, we were still kind of like coming up. Right. You know, it wasn't until the next year in two thousand one 
right we were really kind of out out. and like yeah yeah i mean that and i think was it margie or stormy booked those tours stormy did that well actually it was margie the margie was kind of primary but it was under stormy yeah okay yeah so i remember like you know i did the first two east coast tours by myself and then Mm -hmm. they came when you wanted to come after you released the lp and everything stormy i guess was booking it and i just handled like three or four shows of that in in my yeah (laughs) so yeah but you yeah, gotta see nice. these flyers. You, you like Robbie, you'll have to you'll have to I'll connect you guys so you can see him, Eric. Uh yeah, I went through like have, all my you know. stuff and like I tried to figure <laughs> out like information on the tours because like there was a one tour with my band Damage and uh American Nightmare. And it, it was like I was I think I was booking the tour for Nerve Agents and Damage, and then American Nightmare, like uh Timmy Tim from American Nightmare used to be in Tenure Fight, and I booked the tour for them. And he's like, oh, my new band, American Nightmare, we just recorded seven. I think it's great. I'm going to send you a tape. So he sent me a tape. And same thing, like five minutes into it, I called him up. I was like, dude, you want to go on this uh, Nerve Asians damage tour that I'm booking right now? He's like, yeah, let's do it. So like, you know. It's that was just... so great. <laughs> and that was American Nightmare's first tour, I believe. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I, th- I think I saw it was. At the, at the Melody, the Melody Bar. Yeah, that show was awesome. Yeah. And that was my first time seeing American Nightmare. And it was just, it was a really exciting time because it was like nerve agents. Uh, and then, you know, I don't know what it was like. And I, that's why I wanted to have Ben, you know, on here too. Because out here, it was like, you guys would play with No Justice, mm-hmm. American Nightmare, Damage. Um, explosion. You know, the Explosion. The Explosion had yeah. just started. But yeah. then I guess out there was more like probably like Good Riddance, AFI. Actually, um, my band Fields of Fire opened, uh, played or didn't open, but played kind of in the middle of billing with at the Phoenix Theater with uh, Nerve Agents and American Nightmare and the next night at Gilman, uh, 2001. Yeah. Uh-huh. The first time I ever saw Ner- Nerve Agents was in the summer of 1998. And it was a day show. And I want to say you opened for Ensign and it w- not that many people were there. And you, yeah. the line was already a little different. You had a woman playing bass, yeah, different than who, who Kim. The person, yeah, the person playing bass on the this twelve inches, someone different. I never saw that lineup, but um, yeah, you can probably get that into was, that was lineup an changes. obscure lineup. That one <laughs> it was like Kevin and Kim were in the band. I mean, totally different lineup than than you know now, right? Yeah, and that the and that was the first show I ever flew to go see because I flew from LA to San Francisco just <laughs> for the weekend to see the, that's amazing I want to say there might have been a second show the next night that I also went went to while I was up there or something but yeah that was you were yeah. the first band I ever uh saw after flying to specifically go to a show <laughs> <laughs> it's an honor then <laughs> so how you got I, your wings <laughs> um I know and catch everybody up here from what I recall from the from the 185 episode, which again it's been a while since I heard it, you had recorded this nerve agent stuff. I mean, like Ben said before we aired for this stuff for patrons, he got a cassette of it, and somebody else was supposed to put it out, right? And then Rev basically yeah. was like, "Yeah, we'll do it." You want to talk about that a little bit since we yeah, are sure. about Revelation here? So, yeah, no, I hear it. Um, yeah, so so basically. You know we're we're running around playing, and you know all the people that we knew were were sort of coming in on the band real quick. Um, Brett Matthews from Cold Front Records, he um, was like, "Hey, I want to put out your record." And 
what had what had transpired previous to that was the start of the, the start of the band happened we threw ourselves together and i said we're gonna put out a record we're gonna play a bunch of shows and we're gonna do all this in six months and the guys are like what i was like don't worry i can get us on a bunch of shows and i'm sure somebody will want to put out a record right because i was super arrogant about like everything at that point i was like we're gonna do this it's gonna be awesome there's there's nothing less than that right so um so basically brett came in from cold front records he was doing the small label and he said i want to put out your record and i'll pay for the recording we're like that's awesome see now we got a record and we were already playing shows so it felt like we were doing what we needed to do my intention for the nerve agents was actually to quit the band at six months and live in la where i did because i was planning i was going to be an actor right like i was going to go to la hollywood and and be an actor and then quit music but you know that didn't work out so <laughs> so the nerve agents kept going um so in that uh we recorded the record with paul minor at, at um for the record where redemption 87 first record was recorded down in orange california and he did a fantastic job on that record and i really like always appreciated how good of a job he did because it's just such a straightforward hardcore record right and it's it just is solidly produced right recorded produced and um so he takes the recording to revelation where he worked at the time and i guess jordan had heard it right after it was recorded and told paul hey like can these can we sign these guys and <laughs> paul calls me and you know i'm hanging out and we're already on cold front records. It's already paid for by cold front. And he calls me. He's like, Hey, Jordan wants to sign you. And I was like, Oh shit. <laughs> Cause that's like my dream to be on revelation. Like I, you know, that's a big deal to me. Um, given my history and all of that. So, um, I was like, that's, we're already on cold front, but this has got to happen. Right. So I call Brett and Brett, like I explained to him, look, this is like my dream thing right here. So um, this is something we'd really like to do. And he gave his blessing, you know, and I'm always grateful to him for just being so cool about it and just understanding. But, um, but yeah, we turned towards revelation and we signed with them and here's the self-titled and here we are now. So I did want to uh, talk about, you mentioned being an actor. Am I, is this Mandela effect or wasn't there a rev fun fact like years ago that you had like a bit part and was it Felicity? Like where you just like walked by and grunted or something like that? Did I make, did I make this up or was that? No, well, part of it you made up. Okay, fair. <laughs> no, so maybe it was a fun fact. That's If Jordan got his hands on that information, it's a fun fact. But the other piece to that is that, yes, I was trying my hand at acting in LA during the same time I was doing this record. And I got a bit part on, well, it wasn't a bit part. I was an extra on Felicity. And so they had me walking down the hall and I just walked down the hall towards the camera and Carrie Russell's there and the other actresses there. And I walk past them. They dubbed in somebody else's voice and was like, excuse me. <laughs> and it was supposed to be me saying that, but I, you know, I didn't have a SAG card. I didn't get paid that kind of money or anything. I was just an extra that day. But that's that was how that came to be. But a funny thing about this particular record 
is that while I was waiting in the back room at the end of the hall, I had the CD on me and I took the, the booklet out and I pinned it up on the bull, bulletin board on the Felicity set so that it's in the college dorm room of somebody. I don't know if it ever showed up or not, but it was pinned up on the bulletin board with a bunch of other stuff. So, so the self-title made its mark on that, that episode, whatever that was. Amazing. So, nice. Yeah. Hard, what do they call it? Hardcore and non-hardcore places, right? Isn't that yeah. the, 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 the internet thing? Um, so Rev does the EP, which, you know, you talk about being, uh, you know, a bit, I think you, did you say arrogant? I don't think it was arrogant. I mean, the records. Oh, it was arrogant. I, we, we know, but we know the record's great, but, but Redemption 87, people cared about Redemption 87 a lot. From what I gather, right? Like I just yeah. missed Redemption. Especially on the East Coast, like on the East Coast, Redemption eighty seven was like gold. You know, like right. follow you guys down the East Coast. So like, how it, we, played, Redemption we played, played three shows. We played what? three shows only on the East Coast ever. Oh really, dude? I yeah. all, I know so many people went to all three of them. I wasn't there. Yeah. I, I never got to see you guys, but I love that same. Part. Yeah, and that's they, they, the, they were amazing shows. I'll tell you that, and and people came out to those. They were big shows. It was cool. It was cool. Well, that's I what mean, I'm, and that's what I'm saying is like, it wasn't far fetched to think that like the next thing you were gonna do was like, I mean, look, we all know how it goes when you're in a band and you build up a following, and the band ends, and you do something new. Usually, at least half the people are on board. And in this case, yeah. it's not like you did some kind of like a Spinal Tap jazz odyssey thing. <laughs> like it was like I can't see somebody yeah. liking Redemption eighty seven and being like, oh, I don't like that first Nerve Agents record. Like it's, right. I, I would challenge someone. Like I, I don't think you will find somebody, you know, that would say that. So it's not far fetched to think like already out the gate, like you had some momentum. Mm -hmm. Um. Was was a new age or blackout like they never tried to contact you in the beginning once you had the stuff? We we weren't really in touch with new age so much at that point. Um, or Mike Hartsfield really. Um I think in blackout, I mean, so Redemption 87 ended and was kind of just ended. But for me, like I stuck around, like I'm still going to shows. Um you know, while I was still living in the Bay Area, um, like there was, it was like about six to eight months between Redemption and the Nerve Agents starting. So, so it was a, a pretty quick pickup of the same people coming to the shows and, and, you know, seeing what's next, right? Plus the Model American guys are in this band and people, the Model American still playing at that time. So there was like, um, you know, a following of them as well. And, you know, one of the, the bass players that's, or the bass player that started the Nerve Agents with us, Swears, Matt Swears, um, he was in Rely. And Rely and Mono American and Redemption 87 are like three bands from the hardcore scene in the Bay Area. So it's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, people, people are going to come out, right? right. They're going to they're gonna wonder what's up. And yeah, we're like not it playing wasn't... Spinal Tap Jazz Odyssey. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't like you disappeared for you know, 30 years and then came back or in that, at no, that that's point now life. that's bird legs. That's this band. <laughs> so, um, you know, well, it's funny because, you know, listening to this record, the first lyric that jumps out is I spent 27 years, right. Uh, was living yeah. dream after dream. 
some uh, chase, chase and chase dream, and dream after, after dream, dream. Yeah. sorry and no, it's no, sorry. it's funny because that's got to be wild for you to listen to now i mean it's wild for me and i remember back then being like dude he's 27 like and he's fucking <laughs> I was, doing this i was old in the scene at that point i was like <laughs> right. an old like, man yeah like i was like i mean unit pride was 10 years before that mm-hmm. record right like something so like even that. yeah 11 12 years before yeah. so what's it like now to to listen back to that and be like oh my god 27 you probably thought you were you know wise beyond your years and now you're 29 you know, or however old you are yeah you know it's really interesting because i do i do think about it in that way right like i think oh okay like what's happening in that like 27 year old head of mine or I just did a unit pride interview with, with a guy writing a book over in Europe. And we, we had a really long interview and we were talking about the songs and stuff. And everything that I've ever done has the same core to it. And what I realized is that's just me, like all those core pieces, thankfully, right? Like it wasn't <laughs> like, Oh, I'm like, uh, you know, waving the flag for like, uh, no, Nazi skinhead organization or something like that. And now I've switched over to become like a hippie, right? Like it's just straight across the board. I'm the same at the core of who I am, every single band, all the lyrics that I did. And if you, if you not any, no one's going to sit down with all my lyrics, but if you ever did, you would see all the same kinds of themes running through a lot of them. And, you know, when I'm, when I'm looking at 27 year old me, I'm thinking, you know, here's somebody who's trying to figure it out still at 27, right? Because I was an immature 27. <laughs> so I'm like trying to figure out like where where I stand in the world in comparison to things, right? Um, you know, that, that piece alone uh, about seizing the day, carpe diem, like all of that is about like really sort of trying to extract joy in your life rather than to like find yourself just going along with the rat race and just living this mundane life of just like base like baseline gloom right like it's really about like living it up you know you still got to work you know at that time i wish that i didn't work so that part of me knows like in that song i'm like don't do anything except your dreams right but really like still today at 52 years old I'm like, follow your dreams, do that rather than join the rat race, plug in, and then just tune out because you're super bummed. You never followed your dreams. Like if you can do that and you have the ability and the access and the ability to make choices like that, then, you know, that's, that's where I would hope somebody would find themselves rather than like, I can't do it because I'm buried by this mountain, which does happen. It does for a lot of, a lot of people. Do you think, so I always felt too, that I know you, you were in the military, right? Um, In between unit pride and redemption 87. Cause I feel like it seems to me from someone reading the lyrics and stuff that a lot of that, that experience informed kind of everything after unit pride. Like there's a little bit more of that, especially like on this, on this record, there's a lot of themes of like war and, things mm-hmm. like that, which I know punk and hardcore bands have sung about that forever. It doesn't mean you had to be yeah. in the military, but did you yeah. feel kind of like you had, like you had a different perspective, I think, than a lot of people. Uh, be- 
Well, I, yeah, I mean, I, I was in the Marine Corps and not everybody's in the Marine Corps, right? So um, I don't know if it's too much different than kind of what you're saying about sort of like the the punk metaphors that we like to use. Not everybody is is experiencing war. In fact, I had an amazing moment in Redemption 87 where I was talking about bombs in one of my lyrics and somebody from Croatia reached out to me and said, I love your band but you don't even know what you're talking about when you're saying things about bombs. And I was like, Whoa, <laughs> he's right. Like, you know, that's, that's crazy and real. And, you know, so those metaphors exist, but they also, you know, taking into account that the reality of some of this stuff is not there I, for, for someone like me, right? Like me, I know my experience. I can speak to it. Like, I've not been in a war. I've been in the military, but I've not been in a war. I work with combat veterans right now, and I talk with them about that. Their their real wartime experiences is legitimate. I have to be really mindful in using those metaphors and how I use them, especially nowadays that I know better, you know. But when I sing about like the war's not over on the self-titled, it's it's about the war within me against my stepfather and the domestic violence in my home and so that to me is a is a my own personal war right like i can use that word there it makes sense you know when i talk about like uh you know uh are you ready to die and i'm talking about like you know the ebola virus and that kind of stuff i've never experienced the ebola virus but it's it's out there and what we've learned now is that there's a pandemic and suddenly that song is strangely prophetic, right? And, you know, the question in that song is more about death, right? It's like, are you really ready to die at any moment? And that was the sort of example of use that there was a their connection to reality is really what that was about, so. Funny, when the pandemic happened, like, I thought of that song. Like, literally, it was such a weird, like, I remember it, yeah. like, you know, just going like, Oh, we're we're living in this song right now. Like, yeah, this is real. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it was really I'm wild. Diabetic, so like, I was shook. I'm not gonna lie. Like, I was I was worried for my life for a little while. Yeah, and, you know, it it is scary. It's a different perspective than I had before that. Yeah, when I wrote that song, I was so frightened by what I was reading, and knowing that it could be a reality. It was, you know, it comes from the Hot Zone, the Richard Preston book, The Hot Zone, and I mean, it was blew my mind. And really what I was reading during the pandemic was the same stuff. And I was like, this is insane that this is happening in this way. But that was something that I read about as a possibility, you know, happening before. But yeah, it's, it was weird, right? To have that song. <laughs> like, we know that song. We're like, whoa. <laughs> Dude, it was just like an earmarked right away. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. There's another song on the Butterfly Collection about viruses, too, called What Then? That also, like, came to light for me. I was like, oh, this is totally bizarre. Yeah. It's like it's like how The Simpsons, like, predicted so many things. You, nerve agents <laughs> did, too. Just, just like The Simpsons. <laughs> I have a quick question. So, like, the cover of the, the, the EP, like, I, lo I love it. Like, and I actually mm -hmm. did research on the artist. And he's, like, a digital artist and stuff. Yeah, how yeah. How did you come across that? Because he's not like exactly. the hardcore scene, right? Jason is going to be so happy that you asked this, yeah. by the way, Robbie. Like, he's <laughs> he's always like, so about the layout. 
Um, Dude, so- I like it's one of my favorite like Rev covers, and like it's different because like you know that was the beginning of like digital artwork. You know, yeah. like, you had your Jake Bands, you had you know a couple people out there that were truly artists in their own right mm-hmm. doing it digitally, and that was like the beginning yeah. of it. Because like, let's be honest, the internet isn't that old. <laughs> and, right. You know, art's been there forever, but this is a new medium. And like, this is the first record that I kind of remember that was like, whoa, this wasn't painted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, this is something yeah. created. And it, it really took me away. So, like, tell me about it. Always yeah. ask this question. No, I, lo- I love that this question came up too, because I always forget about this. And it's so important. I wish I remembered his name. So, the artist has nothing to do with the hardcore scene, the music scene, none, none of it. We found it the same way you found it. We were searching around on the, the early the early internet looking at just images. Yeah. And his stuff came up and I was like, wow, yeah, that's awesome, super like- fucking crazy. It's just exactly what we need for the name, the nerve agents, right? Because if you look in the in the insert on the record, this thing, like there's all these different little images that's from my battle skills training manual <laughs> in the Marine Corps. And so a lot of that stuff was there and it's like hand drawn. It was just, and you know, it's cool stuff, but it's not like, like album filler. cover art. Yeah. It's like filler to yeah. Yeah. make the layout. Yeah. So and it so, looks like the name was Duncan Long. Duncan Long. Yeah. Duncan yeah. Long. Yeah. yeah. So Duncan Long, um, you know, super nice guy i reached out to him i was like hey can we buy this image from you this art and use it for an album cover and he's like yeah 100 bucks we're like <laughs> okay that's the best deal ever yeah and i had see i like, thought somebody drew it so yeah this i i'm i am glad you asked this question because i always thought somebody drew it based on oh you're called the nerve agents oh well here you know right yeah yeah and it looks so good that it, you know it like it looks like it was a painted picture. We were so stoked on how good it looked. We're like, this is like beautiful, like because the colors really pop on it, right? And it's like you probably wouldn't do it like that if you're like, this is going to be on an album cover. But it just so happened to just fit perfectly, Perfect. and it just did. Yeah, it's pretty great. Great question yeah. though, and I'm glad we're we were able to name Duncan Long. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I literally like like when that record came out. Like I, I, I was, I've always really been into art, and like when I did Dead Boy Twenty Three, like one of the rules that one up broke was I want to do all artist covers, no live pictures, no you know normal Photoshop stuff, like just drawn artists. It's and true. when I got the when, when that record came out, I was like, I gotta research this dude. This guy's amazing, and like. Dude, his stuff is incredible. Like, it, and, and I remember going <laughs> on a deep dive, just trying to find out everything I could about the guy. And yeah. uh, I would love to buy a print if Duncan Long, you're listening to this. Duncan <laughs> Long, hit us up. Who designed the yeah. logo? Uh, you mean the the the, the letters? Perfect. Yeah, it, that's that's me. Yeah, that's just my typical. If you look at the Redemption '87 stuff, the Unit Pride stuff on the seven inch, um, it's that's all me. It's, it's just trying to, to do something that works to sort of, we, we want to just like, you know, the Misfits does where you, you always have the same letters, the same logo, right? And it just goes from everything you do. It's always on everything. It's, you brand. Do. it's, it's recognizable. Yeah. Yeah. It's a brand, brand recognition type thing. Yeah. 
I'm seeing it right behind your head, Robbie, right yeah. on the wall there. Yeah. Yeah, that's a <laughs> let me zoom in here. <laughs> that's that's some Linus Garces art yeah. right there. Dude, I it's funny. <laughs> I found a bunch of like Linus like related yeah. things and I'll send them to Greg too and he can put it out with this or whatever, but like found like a artwork for a shirt that he did for you guys. Oh wait, where is it? I, I found an actual spray paint stencil. Here oh is. nice. That, that Lennis made. I don't know if you can see it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You yeah, got to send a that. picture of that, too. Yeah. Like, oh, he just Jay gave it to me one day when I was at his house. I was like, this is fucking awesome. Jason's going to be so bummed. <laughs> Actually, is hey, Ben. Yes. <laughs> Do you remember the $5 shirts that we sold back in the day? They had like a stencil screen thing on it. And then everybody who bought them at the PCH club, like they sold out and then everybody went home, wore them, washed them, and the image <laughs> dissolved in the washing machine. <laughs> I wish I could remember that. Maybe I had one and I just blocked it out because it was too it. painful. <laughs> You're like, this white shirt, I don't want this anymore. There's nothing on it. <laughs> Why do I have a plain white shirt? You were a big stencil. Bucks. You were a big homemade stencil punk band guy, Eric. I remember, like, you just be like, I like uh, negative approach. Fuck it. And then you just write negative yeah, just approach write on, on a white on a, shirt. Yeah, just like write <laughs> negative approach on a white shirt. And I thought yeah. that's so cool because when I was, you know, 12, 13, whatever, in junior high, me and my friend, we would do that because, like, I don't know, <laughs> punk wasn't so everywhere. Right. Like, like you is, couldn't yeah. just so, go to the mall no and get that. <laughs> negative approach shirt or whatever because i did yeah, the same thing and we yeah. would do that and then when i saw you doing it years later i was like oh man that's just like me in seventh grade that's so cool that's <laughs> but he's just 27. Like me in seventh grade <laughs> but he's 27 <laughs> well it's i thought but that's what see that's what i liked was that there was the punk rock side to it like you'd see nerve agents and you'd have one like because i grew up listening to rancid and you know all those bands that you were friends with that to you i'm sure were peers green day all that's i mean you know i'm obviously the age where that stuff was you know part of my influential influence into mm -hmm. getting yeah. into hardcore right like from you know the grunge stuff to then later a lot of the east bay stuff i was a huge fan of lookout records like mm -hmm. i would buy any you know I would get anything if it had that logo on it. So it was kind of cool to see. It was like, for me already at that point, it was like a five-year throwback. I was like, oh man, all these like punk bands I love, but it's cool because like Nerve Agents are, you know, a fast hardcore band. And um, it was different than Varsity Jackets or, you know, yeah. whatever, which I thought was cool. Yeah. And, when, and, when and, you know, we love the Varsity Jackets, right? But it is like a different flavor happening suddenly to like kind of move in this direction, which a lot of bands ended up doing, like going in that sort of faster, more punk focused sort of way, which I think when you look at the 2000s, you start to see that all over the place. Yeah, like in a explosion, hardcore. perfect example. Yeah, yeah. yeah but exactly. I even thought American Nightmare. I, I mean, to a yeah. degree, if you think about the the dark. American Nightmare, totally a punk band. Um, They yep. punk, they covered Operation Ivy. You know, back when they had that seven inch, like I saw them cover Operation Ivy and things like that. Like, I think it it did. And same thing with American Nightmare, where they could kind of play to different crowds. They could mm -hmm. play to like yeah. 
metalcore kids, hardcore kids, punk kids. Um, And that's, you know, I mean, again, that time for me, it's like the the records actually hold up Mm -hmm. like from that time. And I don't know if, is, is it just nostalgia or anything? And I was like, I don't think so. Like, I think like, again, the nerve agent there, these are legitimately great punk rock hardcore records. Um, yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, good. Uh, it's funny. Like after we toured with you, you had this. You brought this like old, beat up, gnarly looking, sleeveless Youth Today shirt, and I was like, "That's the coolest <laughs> fucking thing I ever saw." So I started wearing sleeveless shirts from that point on. Dave Sausage <laughs> hated <True>. them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because the two, two, like early two thousands, I was all about the sleeveless shirt. All your fault, Eric. Yeah. <laughs> this picture isn't there the picture of you in like the sleeveless Samane shirt mm-hmm. damage pick yeah that's the yeah, first thing to yeah, yeah. <laughs> total Eric Ozina influence yeah because I remember there wasn't even a ton like, of people running around like that with the, the shirts like that you know it was it was kind of a funny thing that yeah I remember people talking about those shirts back then and me yeah. wearing them are like you're wearing that shirt again like yeah. oh you got the shirt on like and you know there's definitely a, a conversation behind that that i don't know about when they're saying this and i'm like uh you know because i mean i always yeah. remember the rancid the first album cover yeah and it was that like was beat to shit shirt like it yeah. was like hanging I still, on I by a literal thread yeah i still have that one um yeah, that was the one that actually uh, the Rancid guys, well, Matt Freeman that I remember um, <laughs> going, oh, you got the light bulb shirt. There's the light bulb shirt. You know, like, I was like the only person that had that shirt left over from that time, I think. And, you know, like people just weren't wearing it. But uh, but I wore it a lot. Love that shirt. So I had like certain shirts that I love to play in because they, you know, like Robbie's talking about there they had no sleeves so they had a lot of air and like i was moving a lot on stage so i was like okay i need some ventilation here right so yeah yeah i don't know how like i mean i was in a band at the same time we're approximately the same age i'll I'll be 50 in like two three weeks Mm. and like i'm watching you like on stage and just like i can't do that (laughs) (laughs) well i was thinking about the sleeveless shirts i remember i had a my, it was a nerve agents had cheap merch you had like a screened you know it was awesome yeah. for a kid that just out of high school that barely works and but i had yeah. i didn't wear white robbie You're, you feel no, me right we're, we're we're bigger <laughs> Big guys gentlemen. don't wear white and and i do now because i don't give a, i don't give a fuck but back then i was like i got the white and then i was like well maybe i'll like rip the sleeves off and then wear like a black t-shirt under it. But then I realized I would just look like a panda bear. So I was like, uh, I'm just going to have to keep it white. <laughs> That's amazing. That would have so, been awesome. Actually. So yeah, we, we, we couldn't, I, we couldn't pull off the style that you, that you had. Ben, <laughs> Ben would be able to, but me, it would just look like. Ben had his own style back then. That was for sure. You had hey, good I- style, Ben. I appreciate it. I have no idea what you're talking about, but I'll take that. I'll take the compliment. Uh, but, but I wanted to had, talk. I mean, you, you are had wearing your hair, you had your bandanas, right? OMDB like, over my dead yeah. body. Oh, oh, that is, oh, it's the, the one they just did. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. I saw that and I loved it. So what was I wearing in 1998 to 2000, whatever, uh, Eric? I don't remember. So you had you had bandanas, you had your hair, right? I had long like, hair, yeah. Yeah, I, I just remember there was like a lot of flow going on with you. 
Like, okay. like, like maybe it was like you were wearing a lot of looser stuff. I don't know. It was Everyone before was. everything got tight, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, was the worst. That's what I that was the worst. That was the worst. You hated that era. You go up to buy a shirt. Well, we got small and extra small. Oh, yeah. Dude, the 90s, they didn't even make 2XL shirts. No. Huh. <laughs> Nobody had 2XL shirts in the 90s. Oh, maybe man. like maybe like Crowbar did or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Eric, there's a the, I remember there's um so kind of you mentioned this on the 185 Miles South interview that you started this band sort of as a way of being bringing punk back into hardcore. Mm-hmm. And I think about this all the time because I am a punk rock kid who got into hardcore and heart became a hardcore kid, et cetera. And then I saw yeah. all these people around my age who were like, oh, I started listening to Strife because I got into them through Metallica. Like, whoa, like you skipped yeah. the whole punk rock thing. Like <laughs> yeah. and that yeah. tripped me out. And I was like, oh, so like there's people who could have gotten into hardcore in quotes in like 1993 or something. And their idea of hardcore is like, Earth Crisis, Firestorm, and like, you know, the first couple Integrity records. And it's like, they think of Which, punk ooh. as something totally different from hardcore. <laughs> but my idea of hardcore is minor threat, <laughs> bad brains, like fast punk. Like, it's yeah. more it's like, a, it's like punk, but it's even more punk than punk. And there's just people yeah. who that just think it's like metal. And so like, the whole 90s I spent being like, damn, why can't this shit be like the 80s when it was like, <laughs> And then you the got the nerve thing. agents. And <laughs> then we got the nerve agents, right? So... Thanks, uh, well, I'm glad, no, glad that we could show up and help you out there. I think, you know, I'm with you on that, Ben. I, you know, I came from the punk scene. I was never into metal. In fact, I was one of those like hardcore kids in the, the 80s who was like, wait, that hardcore band starting to play metal? That's not really hardcore. That's a crossover stuff. Like I was not interested in, in listening to that. And so, you know, I was very focused on like at the time, youth crew stuff. But prior to that, you know, I was like into a whole bunch of stuff that was like Dead Kennedys, Circle Jerks, you know, Bad Brains, like all that kind of stuff, which informed how my version of hardcore would be and should be, you know, and that was Youth of Today, Gorilla Biscuits and those kinds of things um, through all of the, the 80s youth crew time. But, you know, once we hit the 90s, yeah, there was a lot of metal going on. And I think... Um, you didn't have to at that time. And this is me looking back on it at the time. I was just like, no way it's not happening in this hardcore scene. No metal. No, you know, like that was my whole thing with redemption 87. I was like, we need to, you know, come back to like 1987 and play like, you know, fast hardcore and in, in more of that vein. But I, I now look back on it and I think about how people get into it and, some people do come from Metallica, right? Because Metallica is happening in the 80s and 90s, and that's what they're brought on board with. I went and, from metal and hardcore. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, exactly. I think it's a, a there's so East many Coast trajectories. Thing. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, yeah. Cause for me, it wasn't, I mean, I liked some metal. Like I came to it, I guess, through grunge or indie, cause it literally went. Sure. Like, that's another way, like right? Nirvana, Sonic Youth. Yeah, that Fugazi, early Nirvana stuff is straight you know? up punk. Yeah, yeah like, Nirvana, yeah, Sonic totally. Youth to Fugazi, and then obviously Fugazi was opened you up to a whole new yeah. world of stuff. So absolutely, but yeah, there are people that came from you know thrash metal, which I I love a lot of thrash. Like thrash I, I mean, it's pretty bad to say on this, but you know, one of the first bands that I love was SOD and MOD. Like that's where mm-hmm. I came from. 
from and DRI crossover. Like, you know, yeah. I got that and four of a kind in high school shoplifting yeah. James way, you know, like, <laughs> and like, so I came in from all the people in my local area, Mount Holly that were into like MOD, like Sky Joe Ball Savage and Dean James. Like, this is what these dudes listen to. We just skateboard and listen to that all the time. And like hung yeah. out ramps and that was our thing. And then I never, like, they were all drank and stuff. And I was like, oh, I don't want to do that. They're like, oh, you're straight edge. And then, like, when I went to high school, I met first day of school, met a kid in a gorilla biscuit shirt, and that's how I got in. Yeah. I, like, yeah. sort of, like, was around it, and then that day was the day that was like, all right, I can do this, and started going to shows at City Gardens, and now yeah. I'm be years old, sitting in my basement talking to you guys. <laughs> with, a bunch of, with a bunch of hardcore posters behind you. The big, I think the, the big issue I had was more that it was, like, Oh, we're all doing this now. It's like if there are a couple metal bands, you know, a couple bands doing crossover. Like I love the first two Chromax albums and the first two Leeway albums, and it's a lot of that kind of stuff. But the fact that mm -hmm. it was like, you know, Firestorm or whatever record it is hits, and it's like we're all doing this now. Like really, yeah. like that's the thing with Auto Tune. Was like Auto Tune would be okay if a couple bands or pop singers did like it. Like share. No, now it's ubiquitous and it's like, oh, this is like the devil because it's you can't get away from it. And that was kind Not, of the problem. The I had. 90s definitely had like a huge paradigm shift with that. It was just like integrity started it. Earth crisis sealed it. And like mm -hmm. then every band sounded like that. Yep. Yeah. You know? yeah. And think about this. So I'm in the Marine Corps at that time, not hearing any of that. Oh, wow. That and makes so I come of out of the Marine Corps in 1994 and I slot back into the Berkeley, Oakland scene. And here's Rancid, right? Here's, um, you know, all these bands, like the Lookout bands that are playing at that time. And suddenly I'm like, hey, hardcore folks, what's going on in hardcore? And suddenly I'm getting Strife, Snapcase, you know, like Earth Crisis, all this stuff. I was like, what in the hell is that? That's not youth of today. <laughs> right. well, that, that, yeah, that was like where Rev <laughs> kind of like wasn't doing a lot at that point. And then Victory was taken over. And yeah. then it kind of came back in the late, you know, nineties to band, you know, to labels like Bridge Nine and like that were, you know, doing yeah. all kinds of different like traditional hardcore stuff. Equal and it Vision kind of shifted a little was bit. doing, you know, you had Equal yeah. Vision and and the whole because <clears throat> the whole, you know, well, if you but I've always thought about it in terms of like hardcore and punk is a reactionary form of music like by nature right like mm -hmm. punk rock was a reaction to like bloated 70s mm -hmm. rock and then hardcore was a reaction to like punk rock punk rock and then <laughs> so on so it's like then you eventually did have you had like i can see why bands like earth crisis and all that started because you had all that second wave youth crew stuff and then yeah you know of course you find out like these guys aren't straight edge anymore or they dropped out or whatever and then they wanted to come in and like you know, pummel you with the message. So they want it to be heavier. But then of course, like Ben said, then the whole scene gravitates towards that. And you have a few outliers, of course, at that time. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and then you have the whole 97 revival that was like, Hey, we're tired of these. You know, we want to bring back, you know, that was when there was redemption 87 and four mm -hmm. punch and, 10 yard fight in my eyes. Yeah. The whole, there was a whole new generation yeah. of great bands. Rain on the parade. Yeah. Send Rain it back the to the long hairs. Yeah. But let's, <laughs> let's not forget as we talk about that trajectory, how mouthpiece stood strong. Stayed the whole time. Yes, and whole time. literally like yeah. they, I mean, still holding strong. 
Yeah. Like, yeah. They were like the lighthouse. Tim is still the, I met Tim in like 1988 or 89. He is legitimately the exact same person as he was back then. Same shirt, same Nikes. So like great. everything and like, not and that is a hundred percent not an insult that is a praise no no yeah, yeah. i mean that's a, i've always respected tim because he found out who he was a long time ago and just ran with it yeah yeah you know, a lot of people go through different phases in their life and like you know you got to respect that like that's that's as real as real gets for sure well, he's and, one of the really really good guys in the hardcore yeah. scene from my 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 time in in all of it He's he's been one of those solid amazing, people for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, love that. Absolutely. Love that dude nice for guy, sure. Like genuine. Yeah. So yep. you have you have you you have Redemption eighty seven bringing back that late eighties youth crew stuff, but then you have mm-hmm. like at that point you have a fair share of youth crew bands, but even those bands, even though they're playing fast, you know, eighties sounding hardcore, they don't have the punk thing. So then you have nerve agents sort of. Right. stepping us even further back into the past like early 80s vibe ish not 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 repeating anybody but like yeah good point yeah. that's that's a good point ben because one of the things that happens with this with the nerve agents right out of the gate is that kevin and i kevin cross who played guitar and bass on that record um so he and i were really connecting we're same age I'd moved into to the house that he lived in. We lived in this punk house with a bunch of people. And uh, we were really like connecting around our early punk rock days and what we were listening to, like TSOL, Misfits, Black Flag, Bad Brains, all that kind of stuff was really coming up for us. And the model American is over here listening to Black Flag and Reagan Youth and, you know, bringing in that from, from Tim Presley's guitar writing. And then you suddenly... <laughs> and then suddenly you have me going we're a hardcore band <laughs> right so foundationally this is what we're doing and so everything kind of goes around the foundation of hardcore but infused by a lot of the punk stuff we're listening to right at that time so it becomes kind of a perfect marriage really as we stepped into the thing to make it stand out differently than redemption 87 if that makes sense and you can definitely see it like you mentioned circle jerks which funny enough i grew up listening to black flag i didn't get into circle jerks until you know the last i mean now at this point i've been listening to stuff for 30 years or whatever but like maybe the last 20 years and you're like mm-hmm. you're group sex and you're like this is a hard like why wouldn't this be a hardcore record it's fast it's you know it's pissed and i yeah. see like that vibe to me i get a lot of that especially from this first nerve agents record yeah that's really interesting you say that because if you watch the documentary american hardcore then suddenly hardcore looks very different than what we're talking about maybe right now right um my version of hardcore was always built off of the youth crew movement time frame right and so i didn't know the term hardcore until i ran into to uh youth of today and gorilla biscuits and all that stuff and so that's how i frame hardcore is off of that but really if you talk to a lot of people in la they're going to tell you circle jerks and black flag and right. adolescence and like all these bands are hardcore and right. they're right yeah you know? and that was my yeah. same with me was like for a long time i had like blinders. crew blinders on where yeah. it was like well if it's not if they're not clean cut and 
you know, there's not varsity font and X tans. <laughs> like, straight edge. Yeah, is it really yeah. hardcore? I mean, I can't tell you how many bands I didn't get into until later because they weren't like straight edge bands because that's what I loved. When yeah, I was, I'll tell you, know, you I'll tell you a funny out. story about it too. So I had the same blinders on, the same like, okay, checklist, varsity jacket, certain kind of, you know, sporty font, you know, like all these kinds of things had to be in place. Shaved head, somebody's got to have like a shaved head, you know, like that kind of thing. When I was uh, in Unit Pride, I remember going through the Maximum Rock and Roll zine to, to order records because it's how you did it back then, unless you had a record store. And so I remember going, okay, look at all the ads, like where are all of the hardcore, the youth crew, hardcore straight edge bands. And so I ended up ordering from Crucial Youth. Like, <laughs> I was like, these guys are going to be awesome. They're going to be so straight edge and so hardcore. And they were totally mocking the whole thing. <laughs> mocking it well, I'll give them that. Yes. Yeah, they did a great mocking job. Well. Fantastic. Thanks, guys. Also one the of the influence. first also one of the first straight edge records I got the the pose the, the posi machine by uh, <laughs> but luckily I already had a breakdown the walls so I knew that positive dental outlook was a spoof on positive outlook like I, I knew just enough to know that they're making fun of the thing that I was into uh, I'm glad you didn't get the get the, uh, the dupe like I got yeah, yeah. It's funny because like 1986 to 87 you know, into 1990, that was like, you know, I call it the youth crew recording session or uh, youth crew recruiting session. Cause like, oh, yeah, in hardcore 1988, going to these shows. And mm -hmm. like, it was a certain, it was a very specific thing on the East Coast. Like, you know, mm -hmm. and it was, it was a, a perfect like storm of like bands and venues and lots of people going to shows. Like, I grew up going to City Gardens and it was like, you know, that place I think capped out at like 700 people and it was mm -hmm. a scary 700 people. Like oh, the shows there were insane. And like, it, it's like, you see these different like errors in hardcore and like that error for me, it was very important, obviously, because that's when I got in. But, and, yeah. you know, it's like every kind of new era has a whole different vibe than what it was. Right. Yeah. And then it comes Absolutely. back 10 years later. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's so true because I, you know, because like I said, the people that are like your age, Robbie, Eric, you came in at that time again, where it's like hardcore was that Straight cover of, of Break Down the Walls. Like, yeah, like that yeah, was yeah. Break Down the Walls, Judge. You know, these were the bad. Like, that is basically anything Rev released up until 1990 was our life. Yeah. And and <laughs> yeah. then you have the <laughs> people much. like you have the people like Javier, who, who's not here, who you know, he was a few years later, so it was like the more metallic side of stuff. Right. That's where he's coming from. You know, like, and then yeah. for me, it was just at the tail end. It was like when I really started getting active was the 97 stuff. Right. So that's mm -hmm. my, you know, so it was like I had my current bands and then I had the, the bands that they were trying to emulate, emulate, which is so funny that if you think about it now, they were emulating bands that were like not even eight 10 years, years out. Yeah, like eight years before. So that. like it would literally yeah. be like, starting a band today and trying to emulate like turnstile or something right. you know like, <laughs> but like, that's true though. and it's funny because like you know back then when the 97 thing started i was like a little bit confused by it because i was like that was like a couple years ago and it's coming back and like but then it, i was like but it's coming back really good 
you know, like, <laughs> you know, floor punch in my eyes, you know, all these mm-hmm. bands were so amazing to me. Like Rain and Parade, I love Rain and Parade. Like that first yeah. seven is just still something I listen to all the time. I just and played like, it recently. It, yeah, it's, dude, it's, it's great. great. And it was it, such a good band. It, they really were. Like, yeah. you know, and it, they they were a band for a long time. They did a lot of music, which people probably don't realize. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they did what two seven inches and an LP, or yeah, plus that fired up demo and oh yeah, they fired had up com- demo contract. Yeah, so. yeah, they just few pieces, and they were like close friends. Of, you know, like I lived with Matt Smith and Don when Rain and Parade started, and I've known Sarge for a million years. So for me, it was like a very personal thing, uh, and like I automatically got into it. But then like all these other bands started jumping in on this new revival thing, and I was like, "Fuck, this is awesome." And that's what yeah. that played of me doing shows. So like I was working with all the bands at the same time. And it was just a really cool like era. Like it was, it was, it was genuinely awesome. And I look yeah. back at those times and I'm just like, fuck, that was a good time. And it was, it was yeah. really only a short. little blip. Yeah. Like it was very I'm, short. It was only like three, four years. But, but what a three, four years. I mean, I'm Dude. thinking about Robbie, like the, the YWCA right. shows and, uh, you know, then even like you know, tenor fight, rotunda, rotunda, um, it's just such a Pontiac grill. I think nerve agents I saw once at Pontiac grill. Yeah. In fact, yeah. I think Tim sent me, I gotta find it. There's a picture of me up front at the Pontiac grill. I think I have a mouthpiece shirt on, and that is actually an old famous <laughs> uh club called JC Dobbs from Philadelphia. They just changed the name at that point, yeah. But again, mm. that was the American Nightmare, uh, no justice. Nerve agent yeah. damage show. Yeah. 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 And I remember, I remember that one. I remember Robbie. I have this memory. Maybe again it's Mandela effect, but you were you were busy while nerve agents were playing. Right. And you could, you know, probably doing promoter things, band, you know, being in a band. <laughs> I think I was pissed off because Timmy No Justice broke the fucking air conditioner <laughs> while they played. That sounds right. So yeah, halfway right. through Nerve Agent set, you come up front and you're like, awesome. And you were like, play Black Sheep. And I think Eric was like, we already played it. I do remember that. Oh my God. I, I was like out front or something. I was like, I gotta see that song. I was like, play Black Sheep. And you already played it. I was like, fuck. I'm surprised we didn't play it again for you. <laughs> I, used to, I actually might have a live recording of that show because I had the soundboard guy record it and he put them all in really? CD parts. I'll see if uh, I can find oh, it and see if it still works. You got we'll, we'll, we'll find the truth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I, I'm glad that you remember that because I was like, I was like, is I this totally just remember it? I made it. I, I, I was. I remember just going like, fuck. <laughs> it was like a little bit embarrassing, uh, you know, because like here I am, the promoter doing a show on tour of the band, and yeah, I'm that guy. <laughs> I, I, got, I was it. probably wearing a nerve eating shirt at the time. <laughs> I got at least a you had the at least you had the name right. Right. <laughs> Wasn't like play blue sheep. Yeah. <laughs> or play like the I, fast one. I heard Stay it as away. pushing. I thought you were singing pushing, 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 pushing. <laughs> I'm like, wait, why is it called black sheep? <laughs> you know, funny thing, like, you That's know, hilarious. Eric, you'll probably relate to this more than these younger kids. <laughs> but like when I was young and like getting hardcore tapes, it was just copies of tapes. So you didn't have the lyrics. So oh, like yeah. you learn songs, but you learned them completely wrong. You yeah. th- like the whole Gorilla Biscuits LP is a completely different <laughs> record to me. Like, yeah. yeah. Like, like I sing along to it. I'm like, well, I know I'm singing the wrong thing, but that's what I thought I was when I was that age. And I didn't have lyrics to figure it out. So yeah. like no, all I... these songs are in my memory stuck like that. 
Yeah. So it was Kevin Seconds who would sing really fast a lot of times in those first two albums. And, you know, I didn't have lyrics for a while. It took me a while to get that vinyl. But um, yeah, same thing. Totally. <laughs> Were you just like making stuff up like tomatoes and carrots? Da, 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 you know, I mean, you're just like coming up with words that it sounds like. If it's, hey, I'm going to walk upstairs and let the boy in because he's locked out. Um, <laughs> so it's called, uh, it's called Eeny Miny Mo singing. I was at a theory show and they they were, they were doing a really fast song and the verses were like, and this guy to my, to my left yells in his friend's ear to make him laugh. Eeny Meeny Miny Mo, Eeny Meeny Miny Mo. And I'm like, Oh, that's a style of hardcore. It totally is. Yeah. You know, there's um, an advantage built into that if you're the, the actual singer that sings in that way, because if you forget the lyrics, then you just matter. get to say whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. I, speaking of your lyrics, I have a question about Share the Pain. It's for Brian Wentrup. Who is yeah. or was Brian Wentrup? Uh, yeah, Brian Wentrup, rest in peace. Yeah, he is also Dead Man Walking. And... Um, I think um, always on uh, the Redemption record. So there's like three songs written about Brian, who was my best friend. And he um, he got hooked on heroin. And basically, we were really, really close. And he was around during this time, during the self-titled time. He came actually on the Seven Seconds shows that we played. Um, think with groovy ghoulies and we would we played like a few shows down south he was on that little little stretch but um soon after he got really like uh hooked on heroin down in los angeles and and so this song is for him uh share the pain because he always really struggled with drug use and so i was basically putting out to him as a reminder like hey you know i'm always i'm always here Right. Like you can always come to me, even though he tried to hide stuff from me constantly. I always wanted him to know that. And I thought actually, you know, as a, a song that relates a lot to friendship and like what that means, that kind of like laid out as a song that was really about friendship, the deep friendship that people have. And and like the um, uh, what's the word I'm trying to say, the camaraderie. I don't I care. Know. Yeah, no, not com not camaraderie. It's um um uh, it starts with an i oh my god i'm drawing a blank all right forget it so anyway it's just about being there for people no matter what right like especially like your close friends and just wanted him to know that what happened next was on um i actually think it came out on our next record which was our our kill your idol split that came out um with mankind and dead man walking was so brian was living with me in LA for a little while. This is where he got hooked on heroin. He was living in my basement using heroin. And uh, I didn't know it at the time, but once I found out I had to let him go because I couldn't keep him around and um, have him do that, you know, and enable that, that behavior. So, so I let him go and I, I didn't see him again for many, many years. Um, and I ended up writing dead man walking, which was on that, that split that comes up next for us and so that became a really poignant song around um just looking down the road going you're going to kill yourself doing this right and it was really meant specifically for him 
And he took that to heart. He really thought that was important that I wrote these songs for him. And he always thought about the lyrics because we always we grew up writing lyrics together in a bedroom. When I was in Unit Pride, he was in a band called No Reason. And um, <laughs> we used to write lyrics together and I would have to edit all of his lyrics because he couldn't really write very well. But um, but yeah, so he he ended up um, he ended up overdosing, actually, just a couple of years ago. So up here in Portland, where I live, yeah. here, yeah. No, it's you know it. It was bound to actually happen, and we were all surprised, all of his friends, that it didn't happen sooner. But you know, he made it that far, and it was kind of an unfortunate ending where um, he ended up, you know, overdosing on what they believe is fentanyl. Um, mm. You know, which we all hear about now in the news. But yeah, it's tough stuff. So good guy though. Was there was another song? Maybe it was a redemption song about. Maybe it was about Tim Armstrong. Was he a roommate at some point? Maybe I'm just tripping. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! So there was no song about Tim Armstrong. Okay. Um, but my roommate was Lars Fredrickson from Rancid. Oh. Okay. Uh, he and I lived together in Berkeley uh, with my my wife at the time, and that was during the beginning of Redemption '87 because. Lars was really heavily involved in Redemption 87 because we were really close at that time. And um, he actually came up with the name Redemption 87. And he introduced me to Timmy Chunks, who was in Token Entry, who was then Redemption 87. And he introduced me to Ian Miller, the bass player for Redemption 87. And, and so a lot of that was sort of culminated by my connection to Lars. So that's, that's wild to think that Lars Fredrickson, probably the least youth crew person to ever walk the earth, was instrumental in coming up with the name and helping put the band together for Redemption 87. Well, he produced well, it gets, the, it gets demo, even better. Right? The yeah, seven he produced, or the Spidey he, Sessions. Yeah, he produced the Spidey Sessions demo. He is Spidey, by the way. Uh, and he wrote Spidey Song. And he um he wrote the music for Spidey Song and he helped with the music for can't break me and um i think that he actually sang on the demo on can't break me like just the some of the melody stuff yeah i was gonna so, ask you can definitely yeah. tell that it's yeah it's him on on that especially on that spite the seven inch i have it uh somewhere yeah. here but um yeah i was and i and again as someone who came up on rancid you know, mm -hmm. early on, like that was cool to me because and, and to me, they were huge. You know, they were yeah. like a big rock band. And I thought it was cool <laughs> that they like, you know what I mean? That they still like kept their and they I mean, they still do to this day. I always see, you know, pictures of them, you know, repping other bands and stuff. I did want to yeah. talk about um, and you did touch on it just before we, you know, wrap up. Uh, the back of the record um, saying, you know, dedicated to victims of domestic violence, which you touched on already, um, and to victims of Gulf War syndrome. Could you mm -hmm. talk about that just for? Yeah, you know, so at the time, like I said, I I just come out of the military like only about three years, was a, four years before and three and a half years before. And that was a pretty heavy topic around that time, Gulf War syndrome. Um, 
you know, coming out of the desert storm stuff. I served with a lot of those guys that came out of that. And, um, you know, just for people struggling through that and, and going through that, it was important just to sort of acknowledge that it was a thing because it wasn't fully acknowledged at that time. I mean, now they're doing all kinds of tests um, like at the VA and for veterans across the board where they're getting care. Um, so it's more of an acknowledged thing, but at the time it was more of like a mystery and some people didn't believe it was real, but you know, it was a, an illness that, that struck people from a lot of the burn pits that were there and just um, having been exposed to so many different toxic elements of that conflict. Um, it was unfortunate because, you know, it's just like with Vietnam with Agent Orange, you're just cruising along doing whatever you're doing in, in the war of all places. But then you get Agent Orange dumped on you and you get it on your skin or your clothes or whatever. Next thing you know, you know, you're, you, you know, live another 30 years, you get cancer from it. Right. Same with Gulf War syndrome as people are just cruising along doing what they're supposed to be doing. And, um, you know, all these kinds of like larger chemical exposure kinds of things come into play around them. And, you know, they breathe it in or they're, you know, using it to clean their weapons or whatever. And these are just people who are trying to make it in the world. Um, I think, you know, for a lot of people, when I served, um, there are people that went in because they wanted to go shoot things. Right. And then there was a lot of people that would go in because that was their way out of their life, you know, in poverty. Um, there was a lot of people who just went in because they didn't know what else to do and they didn't have a lot of guidance. And so you have a lot of really young people in the military who just don't know which way is up. And I was one of those people. And so when you're thrown into a conflict and you get exposed to all these like toxic exposures, um, I think then, you know, it becomes something that's really important to acknowledge, even though we may not be down with the military and, and what they're all about or you know, what conflicts we're in and that kind of thing. There are a lot of, you know, people who made decisions to go into the military that are, uh, you know, for good reasons. And they're just trying to take care of themselves. They're all human beings who are trying to kind of take care of themselves. And that's all I think any of us are really doing out there in the world is trying to find the best way to do that. And some people have different information than others. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a complicated one. But it was really about like trying to put that on the board as something to talk about, you know, and I don't know that it did, but here we are talking about it. <laughs> so, yeah. That's what I'm saying is, it's, you know, it's that wasn't something you saw on the back of floor punch. Yeah. Like would you mention floor punch who, you know, I fucking love floor punch, but you weren't seeing that on the back of that record. Like it was a little different. Um, and that's when I asked earlier too, about just like, you know, being around, not necessarily that you, like you said, you weren't in combat, but I think just being, you have a whole different perspective than somebody who like me that wasn't in the military. I mean, I have family members that were, I'm sure all of us have at least some family member involved, but, you know, definitely gave yeah. a different perspective. Um, and it's, no, not to make light, but it, it kind of fit in with the whole theme of the record and the band, right? Like you mentioned the, the nerve yeah. agents and the cover and, and the lyrics and everything. So, well, the nerve agents name is actually taken from my, my chemical, uh, like chemical weapons training. 
not that I had like deep training, but I had learned about it. And so I knew about it. You know, there's like mustard agents and blister agents and nerve agents. And, you know, we've now heard about them because people have actually used them in, uh, you know, terrorist attacks and things like that, um, which is which is all kind of wild, I think, to what Robbie was talking about earlier is that, you know, some of the stuff that I that I brought into the name of the nerve agents and the motif and the, you know, level four outbreak song, all of it sort of comes into the news one way or another in some sort of way, which is really kind of fascinating to me because it, it wasn't out there in that way before. And so it was interesting that um, like just nerve agents were used in terrorist attacks and, you know, we had this whole pandemic happen. <laughs> it's like, yeah. well, this all this crazy stuff that I thought was just kind of like this, this, this stuff world. that what's that? Like a theoretical sort of like thing that you're yeah. scared and then becomes reality. Yeah. Then it becomes reality. Life imitates art. <laughs> right? Life imitates art. Um, yeah. Because it sounds, you know, when the way you talk about nerve agents, I know it's maybe like picking a child, but do you feel like as far as the bands you've done, like, is that the one you feel kind of most like, like is nerve agents you know, like, like certain people that are in a bunch of bands, but it's like, you think of them as like, okay, this is like, you know, like someone like Walter, you know, he's been in a bunch mm -hmm. of bands, but I feel like maybe immediately you'll think like quicksand, right. Or whatever. Yeah. Like do you, do you yeah. feel that way with you with nerve agents or is it more like. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I think, you know, there's enough bands on the table. <laughs> um, yeah. Nerve, nerve agents is, is the band that, that I most well, I don't most associate myself with, but is is the one that really did the thing in the best, most amazing way that I could be a part of, right? And it was probably like, the most accomplished too. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, he did like, yeah. you know, a yeah. th two and a half LP. I mean, this is what, a 12-inch EP? I mean, it's an album, right? It's 12-inch. I just call it an album. Yeah. So it's <laughs> yeah. like three full lengths, a split multiple tours um you definitely i think got the most out there like you said redemption yeah. only did a few shows on the east coast unit pride to my knowledge when they came out here you weren't singing i was yeah i wasn't even there so yeah, this was I, like the full on yeah and they all they all have a different place in in sort of my history with with all of it because one is my teenage high school band right <laughs> and then you know redemption 87 is like my like straightforward hardcore band like just doing that right this is a more complicated little piece of work right like we're talking about all the complicated pieces that go into the nerve agents and why and you know we didn't even talk about like what comes next <laughs> right off of this album into days of the white owl i mean all that stuff you know, we'll talk oh, about yeah. that one day. I'm sure. I but... can't. Oh, we no. We you're 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 trapped now because we we got your we got your number. Yeah. I mean, that's that was the one. Like, I love this record, and even revisiting it, I was like, you know, we'll get to hot tracks in a second, but mm -hmm. like the days of the white owl was the one. I was like, this is an album. Like it, like you know, right. same here. Intro, when that thing came out, I was like. Like, oh, I, I was like, this is like, this isn't just like a bunch of songs 
that happen to be good put on a record like it's an album so we'll save all yeah. that for for that one but yeah and, okay. and i think it is a pretty i mean it was a big leap i felt from this to days of the white owl stylistically still same cut from the same cloth it's not but it's like it's a little more grown up yeah but man I, yeah, that makes sense. well, we, we were finding ourselves, right? And then, of course, you bring in Dante and, and Kevin left the band. And so we we started to get into a little bit more complicated writing, right? And then even with Butterfly Collection, it gets even more complicated in the writing because everybody's finding themselves. They're all growing up. These guys, when they started in, in 1998 and, you know, when Dante joined the band, I think in 99, um, you know, they were all, you know, I was 27, right? <laughs> so they, they were eight and nine years younger than me. That's pretty young. Yeah, they were like, that was like my age. Ben's yeah, age. I went, I went to, I went to, what was it? Well, I didn't go to their high school graduation. I went to some other people and some other bands' high school graduation. But Tim and Andy graduated high school right around that same time that I that I knew them and then they eventually came into the nerve agent so I think when we started the self-title I think uh Tim was in his first year of college yeah so Cal right State, out of high school Cal State San What's Francisco that? Cal State yeah. San Francisco we I stayed in the dorm the same floor of the dorm my friend was staying in and and there was Tim I, we went to see model American and he was I was like, at that show smoking cigarettes and like oh man i thought everyone that played that kind of music was straight edge you know when you go through that phase in your life oh yeah, oh. yeah. do we just have a timmy stardust appreciation post here well he's hopefully, gotta be, uh, yeah. hopefully we can get he's him on here for uh and and definitely andy because yeah, andy yeah. i remember I you know, he was uh, yeah like i remember like seeing you guys and he's like a character you know like he yeah. was like <laughs> He was like part of the. Yeah, he's always fun thing. and like yeah. just happy to see you. Like he's he's always yeah. been such a great guy, even through like the sellers, like you know, yeah. stopping by shows. He's just always like such a fucking awesome person. He's still the same guy. Yeah. He's still wonderful. And I just actually had dinner with him and his family not too long ago, and uh, when he came out to Portland, and and it, you know he wanted to do today, but we had the wrong day, and it was last minute for him, so. He couldn't do it, but um, I heard from Tim earlier this morning, and he was going to maybe do it, but he's in a car all day driving, so he couldn't do it. But um, but I know he wanted to be here, so I think both of them hopefully will come to the days of the White Owl one yeah, eventually we'll, we'll, when we do we'll that. Make sure we'll make sure schedule wise, like we're tr yeah. I'm trying to. This is inside baseball, but I'm trying to get these scheduled far enough in advance where there's some wiggle room before it was basically yeah. like, Hey, we, can you meet this Sunday? No, All right, well, we're <laughs> going to have to do it without, you know, we're gonna have to do the, oh, the interview part without you or, or whatever, you know? So yeah, yeah, cause we would definitely like to get this. And I feel like, like you said, like they became more part of the band probably after not to downplay their involvement in this record, but I felt like, like days of the white owl was a whole different animal. So yeah, nice yeah, we there. were we were really gelling at that point, and and again, Dante coming on board really changed the dynamic quite a bit. And you know, the, I, you know, I can't say enough about that shift because it really did change everything for the nerve agents. From I mean, obviously, there's this perfect bridge from Redemption '87 and Model American 
into Days of the White Owl by the self-title, right? But yeah, sure. we became the band that we were on that album, Days of the White Owl. That's what I, I mean, I thought like I wouldn't, like when when I heard that the next one after that was going to be on Epitaph, Hellcat, like it, it it wouldn't have made as much sense after this one, but like Days of the White Owl, I was like, oh yeah, like, because yeah, I thought too, I was like, yeah. this can appear, like this, because I mean, at that time, AFI was really, you know, they were in the art of drowning black sails. Like it was, an, it was yeah. a cool time for that stuff, but I don't want to get too in the weeds with that because again, that oh, we'll get that, there. Yeah. Yeah. That plays a lot in. So Eric, I should say something though, oh, real quick about yeah. this album. So throughout all of the time of the nerve agents, the most important songs though, came off of this record. So Carpe Diem, uh, level four outbreak, the war's not over. I honestly the entire record. Yeah. <laughs> but those four songs were like the ones that I heard about from people like personally. Like this song spoke to me so deeply, or I had domestic violence in my life too. The war's not over. Like I had somebody come up to me crying about that song, which was blew my mind. And then, you know, Carpe Diem is almost like the sort of the one song, if you pulled one song from the Nerve Agents, it would probably be that one, because every time we played, that was the one everybody wanted to hear. You know, and part of that, I think, is just the straightforward, hardcore nature of those songs and that sort of the power that the simplicity holds, right? So, you know, there's there's pretty simplistic messages. Seize the day. The war is not over. I keep screaming. Really, are you ready to die? Like <laughs> they're Stuff pretty simple easy for people to grasp. Yeah, yeah. And, and it was super, ca- it was really super catchy. Super catchy. Yeah. So catchy. So <laughs> it makes yeah, because like I said, this one took me right back to like the late nineties, and uh, you know, like for it was ninety nine, two thousand, two thousand one. It wasn't summer until you saw the nerve agents like out of here. <laughs> like that was like when I knew like all right, it's this is summer. So. Eric, yeah. um, one of the things we do on here, we we do a thing called Hot Tracks. Hot Tracks, where we ask everybody on to kind of give their hot track. It can be, you know, for Robbie and me and 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 Ben, it's gonna just be the song that we like the most for whatever reason, whether we resonate with the lyrics or the first time we heard it or whatever, for you, it could be maybe just because of the memory you have recording it or writing it or whatever. You you have a little more to pull from to give your answer. So we'll save yours for last because I'm sure it'll okay. be the, it'll be the, the best one. And but I want I want Ben's first. All right. Well, first off, I got to say shout out to Kim, the Cheesehead, and the Kansas City punks who are really from Tennessee. That's that's from the thanks list here. Um, This is my this is my hot uh, Ozine record. This is my favorite record you ever did, Eric, so far. But that might that might change very soon, depending (laughs) on uh, the new one. I'm sure it'll be great. Um, So my hot track is Unblossomed, but it's really close between Carpe Diem and Unblossomed. But the the thing I love about Unblossomed is um, you have a breakdown at the end, but it's not like your standard hardcore band breakdown. It's like you go into this mid-tempo TSOL part with like eighth notes on the ride symbol. And it's like, no one was doing 
even TSOL didn't even exist at that <laughs> very moment in 1998. It was like, it's like with the octave it, chords and stuff, that part, like you go from the octave chord part or whatever into the, is this your, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. And it's like yeah. that whole Fullerton adolescence, Asian orange TSOL thing that like, I, I call 1.5 that my friends make fun of me for calling that. Cause it's like the halfway point between punk and hardcore. And, and no one was doing that in the late nineties. Like even the bands that were keeping it, you know, keeping it real with playing real hardcore weren't doing that specific sound. So it was cool that yeah. you were doing it. Awesome. Yeah. It's, it's a great song. Love it. So Robbie, you'll go second to last. Cause I want to, I'm curious of yours too. So I want to get mine out of the way. Cause nobody, fucking cares what mine is they want to hear everybody else's <laughs> um you know nobody cares about the the hosts um you know it's funny because I, I i had a tie between two and since it's my show i can do whatever i want right <laughs> you can <laughs> so i will say that what made it a tie was your your explanation eric of share the pain like mm. kind of brought it up because well i love the end the breakdown at the end because it's so heavy but like punk you know what i mean like it's not heavy like chug 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 it just got right. this like it's super heavy but i think to edge out i will have to say i keep screaming for me only because i remember the show i talked about at the kill time i didn't know i think i got this record at that show and you ended with i keep i keep screaming and I still remember the end part with the haze getting like, I'm getting it right now, like goosebumps. <laughs> and it's so simple. It's not anything, yeah. but it was just like for somebody that like at that point, this stuff was my entire life, my entire world. Mm. You know, I, I, someone who didn't feel like you fit in, you know, the classic, the reasons we all got into this, right? Like most even regardless of like we talked about getting into it for metal or punk, it doesn't matter. We all got into this because we're all kind of fucked up, right? We yeah. all are kind of weird. We all have baggage. We all come from, you know, really are coming, I think, ethically from the same place. And I just remember that song, like seeing people like kind of piling on top of each other at the kill time. And I still remember that every time, every time I hear it. So that's yeah. why. I keep screaming. I feel like I know cheeks, but because did going to be carpe diem. I can't help it. Okay, well, so it's not. So, and I say this because there's two moments in my life that I heard something and it completely just floored me, or three times. Um, integrity. First time I heard integrity, I was just like, "What the fuck?" But when I heard carpe diem, well, I mean, you know, here I am working in a booking agency in New York. You know, mm -hmm. I'm 20, probably six at that point, if you're 27 or something like that. And like, I put this record on and it was just like, this is fucking different. Like, this is so special. And like, literally, like after that song, I called Revelation. It was that powerful of a moment for me. You know, another moment like that would be when I first heard that first American Nightmare 7 inch. It was just like, I thought you were going to say sleep dope smoker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had to. Uh, fair enough. <laughs> That'll be a whole nother podcast. No, I, like, I, yeah, that I, song, I it's the, a mission statement. That's and like, and just the, the song itself, it's like, you know, I, my first tattoo was a kanji on my leg. It says to live for today. 
And I've always mm -hmm. kind of lived by that. Like, you know, through my 20s, I chose to not have a career. I chose to not join the world. So, and I made that decision when I was like 20 or 21. I was like, till I'm 30, I'm going to do this. This is mm -hmm. what I'm doing. And that's when I got really involved in hardcore and like, you know, started doing shows and being bands and everything. Everything that happened in my 30s was something I chose to do because I did seize the day. And, mm -hmm. you know, so on a lyrical level, the song's important to me, but like, really, it's about that first fucking listen. It just, it literally blew me out of the water so much that I had to call Revelation <laughs> and yeah. I didn't see you that bad. Like, that's yeah. literally how it happened for me. You know, I'm like, yeah. so for me, that first just like opening of the record is just blistering. Like, so it was so much different than what was going on at the time. And like yeah. it was new and exciting and it had all the punk aspects and it had all the hardcore aspects and the lyrics were fucking awesome and like all, you know, like really crazy topics that, you know, because, you know, this is right after the second youth crew thing for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So and, like I'm yeah. coming out of that and being so involved in that. And this was just like, you know, such a wake up call that it was just like, fuck this band. Oh my God. You know, like it was that important to me of that moment that that's, that's why that's my favorite song. And, and what you yeah. did Robbie by putting things on hold, I mean, that was fucking important, you know, like it was, I, I wouldn't, if, if you weren't doing that stuff in Philly, I wouldn't be on this, doing this podcast. I mean, that, that whole era, yeah, that's good that whole era literally changed my life. I know that's like the most hackneyed thing to say, and I, I mean, I tell you all the time, I, I express gratitude towards you, but because I felt at this time, especially, I felt like I was a part of something. I wasn't just a spectator. And that like, was my goal. Yeah, I was like, a kid that like, again, didn't fit in all the same. And it's like, I found my people and right. made friends that I'm still friends with to this day. Right. You know what I mean? And yeah, that song for sure. And also like you mentioned, Paul Minor. The recording is so good. Oh, it's like, so good. It's yeah. such a good yeah. recording. Like the guitar tone, like. Well, that's again, like coming out of the 97 thing, like nothing against all those bands. Like, you know, the, the one uh, uh, in my eyes, LP sounds amazing. You know, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, but like, you know, I'm coming from a era where I was very involved in like, you know, kind of low budget recordings into something that like sounded vibrant and felt vibrant and felt different, mm -hmm. looked different and like said different things. And it was just, a, it was a really fucking cool moment. Yeah. No, that's, I appreciate that. That's, it's well said on, on that song and that time. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, and that's, a, that's the most important era of my life. That 10 years that I decided yeah. to like not join the world till I was 30 and I got a job at Trader Joe's and like became a manager, bought a house, you know, now I'm married, you know, like that 10 years was my choice, hundred yeah. percent my choice. And I feel like I found like a calling that I wanted to help Philadelphia get to a certain point because I thought it could be better. And like yeah. I wanted a place that people could come and not get beat up. And like, you know, I grew up going to City Gardens. Like it was a scary fucking place. So I mm -hmm. wanted to say, make a safe place, you know, where the rejects could come. You know, and like we in Philadelphia, we had like a really weird scene. It was like we had straight punk rockers, straight hardcore people, bubble jacket people, you know, like all these like different groups. And like at times people were fighting against each other. And like it was important to me to not exclude any of them. And like, yeah, that's what it was about. It was about making a place for all of us to be at. And, you know, and people got on board with that. And like 
Philadelphia was a lot of people doing a lot of cool things. Bands, zines, record labels, you know, shows. Like we, you know, we had a very good contingent of everything going on. It was like the, I mean, it was the, it was the hub for a while because you figure we had all the people from Jersey, people from New York could come, people from DC. Dude, I was promoting two hours in every direction. Yeah. Yeah. And this is before the internet. So like I was flyering, like I had people in DC and, you know, would send flyers to, and like they would pass out for my shows and, and it was just, it was a very communal thing. And in Philadelphia, we just had such a great scene, you know, vast, you know, many venues to work out of and like cool venues and like, you know, a lot of cool bands and scenes. And like, it was just a very, it was a fucking crazy time. And like, it worked. I felt so lucky to be like, you know, a 40 minute drive away or a 30 minute yeah. train, you know, because again, as a kid, you know, there's, I realized there's a lot of people that get into punk and hardcore, especially probably now with the internet that live in remote areas where they can't get out and see right. bands. And it's almost like, you know, you took it for granted. Like I'm thinking about, I'm seeing some of these flyers of nerve agent shows that you sent. And I'm like, oh, I didn't even go to that one. Like why? It was $6. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> like I was, I was going through my flyer book. I have a flyer book of like most of the shows I've ever done. And like, I like, I love doing flyers and I love artists renditions of flyers. So like I would make multiple flyers for the same show. And like, I'm looking, I'm like looking at dates like, Oh, this is the same show. And it's two completely different artists doing the same flyer, you know, yeah. to me all the time. But like, that was one of the aspects that I loved about doing shows was getting somebody to create a piece of art for the thing I'm doing. And yeah. like flyers were important, you know, and I look back at this, these flyers and I didn't realize how many shows I did with you guys. I didn't either. He sent me, he sent me this blast of, of, <laughs> of pictures and I'm like, holy shit. And I was like, I've been at some of these, but not all. And it's and like, like yeah, it's cool. Cause they're all like really wild, different, like, lineups of bands but that's how that was the power of nerve agents you kind of you're a multi-tool that fit into a lot of things, you know like <laughs> multi-tool i love that multi-tool of punk and hardcore and it made my life yeah. easier because like i wasn't a good booking agent but like <laughs> so if i had a day you're that pretty I good a show, what i said you were a pretty good booking agent yeah that's up for debate Only <laughs> it. um but like you know, with you guys, it was like, oh, I'll just do another show in Philly and put Violent Society on it. And it works. <laughs> <laughs> like Tuesday. What, what am I going to do with Tuesday? You know, like, yeah. Patience and Violent Society. This is great. Yeah. We didn't have a bad show that I can even think of when we went to the East Coast and played with with any of those shows you booked. I don't yeah, think any was, of them came off. Yeah, I think they were was, all good shows. It was a very good and solid time in Philadelphia. Oh, yeah. I remember traveling to... Um, false church you, when you played there it was like one of the uh, yeah, first church, yeah. one of the first no justice shows yeah, i yeah. want to say count me out played jason i just found the flyer for that, yeah. that I didn't send you yet but i'll send you a new blast okay. nice that those false church shows those were like that was you know it's it's kind of like when you're climbing the mountain and you're like you know you're going up the mountain you're doing this and you grab onto this rock and that tree and then eventually hit the mountaintop the mountaintop to me was always falls church on the east yeah. coast like those there's show, something that show was about about I mean, the, true lennis they, shows. Yeah. they did great jobs down there i was right? gonna say that was true in lennis that was a right? true show you know, yeah. Eric, I think. yeah oh man we i remember we took a little road trip down that there show was amazing and it was like yeah uh i think the explosion played the one i saw because i believe you guys 
nerve agents, I think did two summers or maybe even three in a row there. And I went, it was, we I know three. that I went in 99 cause it was right before I went to college. So it was like, yeah, a we did, couple we did before I moved that time frame. We went to the East coast, 99, 2000, 2001 summer, like the same time every year. Yep. <laughs> it was sick. Yeah, it was, it it was, was great. Sick. I did love it. It was sick. Like today I had like a, a, a group chat with Danish to try to think of stuff that happened back then. We didn't come up with yeah. much. But <laughs> the one thing that uh, Brian noticed, he's like, oh, today's the 23 year anniversary of that Pontiac Grill show. That was today, 23 years ago. I was going to say, it was always wow. the late July, early August every yeah. time. I just realized, yeah, we're in exact the exact time frame of when we go out. Yeah. The go, the go time crazy. record release, you know, yeah. which, oh my God, when Robbie was like, Hey, I mean, again, I'm this kid, I'm nobody and I'm in a band and Robbie's like, I'll put out your record. And then he's like, and when we do the record, your record release is going to be with the nerve agents. You know what I mean? <laughs> that, that, that was like, that, that, you know, that was like, I don't even know, like Metallica opening for Ozzy or whatever in 1986 <laughs> like i was like holy shit like that was incredible you it's know we funny, did those, like the gorilla biscuits covers right the uh yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah. and it's funny like i i honestly did your record because i thought you were such a nice kid that was all of it it really you know? I, 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 man was all right yeah, yeah man was good but like honestly it was because you impressed me as a human being and that oh, see, that's, you gotta that. love that stuff yeah, yeah it's true i mean like you know there's people in my here. life that you know it, it's like you know there's people that i'm still friends with after all this time like me and greg talk via text like a couple times a week still you know yeah. like mm -hmm. you know we'll get in lulls but like you know it's when you find those people you gotta support them and do what you can for them and that's always like lennis like lennis mm -hmm. used to do flyers for me you know yeah. that's you know when he first started in artwork and stuff like and he did a lot of all my early flyers he did a lot of the by 23 stuff you know, he's an amazing artist, but like that was like somebody that I, you know, saw and was just like, this guy's fucking amazing. You know, and mm -hmm. like when you have those people in your life and you have the power to help them, if you don't, you're a fucking moron. <laughs> mm. That's hardcore. Yeah. That's you know, that's hard. You gotta gotta bring in the bring in the noob. It can't all be can't no, all it's be not, the, it's not the, about the, what's going on. It's it's about supporting the right people and doing the right things and like you know and it's you know i did two records with two of greg's bands after you know like i did the uh one-off record as well and it's just like you know that was just a random kid that i thought was fucking awesome yeah. thank you no, that's, that's, that's pretty that. great you do know, we even I, need I do we even to... need eric's hot track or like this, that's a yeah, good you... place to end <laughs> i've been waiting this whole time for it <laughs> i know <laughs> sorry i talk a lot no it's perfect so eric you are you are you are the last one. I'm the last one. What's the hot track? Well, you know, it's 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 a tough one because they're all pretty pretty personal. But I think um, you know, like the war's not over is is a pretty powerful one for me just because it's it's personal in a really hellish sort of way. It, it's something that actually gets to a lot of like past trauma for me, and. Um, I would probably go with that for that emotional connection, but I'm not <laughs> because, because I think, you know, like I keep screaming, right. That song is so about community. It's so about like the hardcore scene. It's so about what you said about not feeling like you fit in 
you know, it's kind of like it's youth of today move up front and shout out loud. Right. Like it's that that's, that's a beautiful, like hardcore thing. Right. I'm not going to say the song is, but, but just the concept of like, you're the kid in the back who's never been to a show before in your life. And like you show up and you're 16 and like, you know, you're being told, you know, to come up front or I see you, you know, keep screaming along with me. Like that kind of stuff is really, that's important to me because that's where I come from in my early hardcore days is having that in the youth crew days is everybody was on the sort of unified, like focus tip, right? Like everybody was like, come on, we're in this together. Let's do this. This is a positive thing. We're doing it together and nobody is othered or, you know, different. We're all the same. We're all human beings. And, and so to me that that's, that's a, that concept is the concept I almost want to go with. And then even with Unblossom, like Ben was talking about, you know, that's really about kind of like reaching in and, and, you know, is this, is this your destiny? No, it's not your destiny because there's so much more in you in every one of us. Right. So all of these are so like important, like powerful, like things to think about for each one of us. And that's really what I'm calling to the mat when I put these lyrics out. But it, I think I have to go with what Robbie's saying. I think Carpe Diem is the song for me because it's just that hardcore song that I want to like be completely blown away by. And that song, every time I played it, when the crowd was into it, which, you know, the Nerve Agents was the crowd. The Nerve Agents wasn't just the band. It was everybody surrounding the band. And that's what was so beautiful about the Nerve Agents was that it was everybody else. And so when we played these songs and everybody connected to them, that's the beauty of the Nerve Agents. And this song, Carpe Diem, is the song that did that the most. Yeah. So, I was going to say. Yeah. That, that, I mean, perfect. Yeah. And like everything yeah. you said is spot on because it's like, I think, and Robbie and I talked about this this week. I think the, with hardcore and the scene and everything. I think sometimes people think that, you know, and Eric, you mentioned like being gone for a long time and not doing a band, mm -hmm. but I'm like, I think sometimes people's definition of gone, it differs from mine, right? Like to me, mm -hmm. it's like, do we need people that are continuously going to shows and supporting new bands? Absolutely. Like that's super important. People that are yeah. out there and- too they're doing bands and and new kids and even you know people of our generation that are still out there uh you know booking shows or going to shows and seeing bands i'm not that like i'm not going to sit here and pretend and say to you that i go to every uh, you know that i'm going to a bunch of hardcore shows but the ethics and the community that i took from that era that never left yeah, like you live. You know I mean? And same with you, Eric, like yeah. uh, and and Ben and, and Robbie. Like we didn't all of a sudden become like pieces of shit, right? You know like what I mean? We, like it's we like live with those ethics that we learned for and, the whole. Yeah. And it's like that's informed. I mean, everything down to the the way I the way I hold myself. You know, the way I carry myself, the way I I'm with my kids. Like it all literally came from that community and being raised by that in the way that I wasn't really not to slag on parents, but you know, 
my parents are boomers. Like I was raised by boomers. Like, you know, they were kind of just like, let you do it, let you do whatever you want and figure it out. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, I kind of, it just made me think about things like, oh, dropout or, oh, you, you're coming back after all this time. And it's like, no, nah, man, I never, I never left. Right. Mm -hmm. I was just, you know, there's people behind the scenes and, and doing things that just because you're not out front, up front, it doesn't mean that you're tapped out. And and yeah, obviously yeah. listening to this record really helped Brilliant. me kind of articulate and, and kind of figure out what I wanted to say about that. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, no, no, I, th I think you're right. I mean, so, you know, for me being gone, in my mind, I am seizing the day, right? Like I'm doing that. I'm following my dreams. I'm, I'm running those down in the way that I'm talking about in that song, right? Like I'm out there like, you know, creating this family that I want to have. I'm, I'm actually going to school and, and becoming a, a social worker. I'm now in service to other people. That's what I always wanted to do. And part of what hardcore did for me is it's to help me understand that that's how I needed to focus it. Right. <laughs> and, and there's Whoa, a great look at that cameo. What's that? And there's a greater good, you know, like there's a greater good. Yeah. No, it's, it's being just in heart, being involved in hardcore and like all the things that people do behind the scenes, front of the scenes, whatever. It's all about being part of something and do It's It's really about doing stuff for other people. Like I book shows mm -hmm. because I wanted a better scene. Right. You know, like it, yeah. it wasn't about what I, you know, I guess it was about what I wanted, but you know, I, it, it's just important, you know, that I was involved in something so incredible at the time. And I look mm -hmm. back on it and it's even more incredible than I thought it was at the time. <laughs> you know, I look back yeah. and I'm like, fuck, these are like some of the best times of my life. And like, I was a hundred percent in control of everything I did and I did it my yeah. way. Yeah. And like, that yeah. shit's awesome. Like, and, and we yeah. thought, we, we were talking about Robbie, like it's, that's why even doing something like this is important. I think to, to catalog that stuff. So it's not lost to time. Yeah, we were talking yeah. about this the other day. It's like, you know, what Greg's doing, like, yeah, he doesn't go to every show. He doesn't do pants. He doesn't do this. But you know what? He is a timekeeper right now, which is amazing. Like, you're slowly going through this Rev catalog, talking to all these influential people that did amazing things for me, him, and every other hardcore guy out there. Right. And in 40 yeah. years, people are going to watch this podcast and, like, they're going to see the passion that every, you know, all these podcasts that you do, like see the passion that these people had for what they were doing and realizing that it's not about what they want. It's about what they're right. doing for everybody and everybody's involved and it's a community thing. And like yeah. it's fucking awesome. Like, yeah, no regrets in my life. Like I fucking enjoyed yeah. it. If yeah. I died tomorrow, life would be great. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. No, no, it's, it's so true. Cause you think about like, so, so I'm an Oakland A's baseball fan. If I go to the stadium, somebody's taking my ticket outside that stadium. Somebody is is selling me peanuts and putting a smile on my face because it's like a, a oh, wow. 80 year old man throwing peanuts like across the thing at me. Yeah. You know, that's part of my experience going to a baseball game where the team is on the field, but the experience is everything around yeah. you. Including Everybody. the people you're sitting next to. Including right? even if right? you're sitting home watching old baseball games or you're yeah. watching, you know, ESPN yeah. and, and finding out, you know, or that. It's like there's so much more to it. And um, yeah, I, yes. can't, I, I can't really think of a better place to, to end because this was killer. So awesome. one last thing to say on tour. Yeah. Eric busted my lip open like three fucking times <laughs> when I would try to sing along. He would push it at me and it like literally 
busted out like and the entire damage to her, I was just like spitting blood. <laughs> I'm, sorry. I'm, I'm okay, sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, enjoyed every Sorry. Robbie, Ben, thank you. Robbie, thank you. Eric, thank you. This isn't yeah. the last this isn't the last time for really any of you guys. So that's um, my no, first that's, podcast yeah, ever. Now you know how to do it. So which is amazing. I'm glad we could do that together. Yeah. So Eric, <laughs> I hope the surprise was was good. I told him there's a surprise, and he was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> no, you know, it's funny because I was like, who the hell could it be? I have no idea who it could be. It could be anybody. Right. <laughs> and so I was like, you can't prepare for that because right. then you'd have to like, you know, <laughs> so I was just like, okay, whatever's going to come is going to come. And I'm so glad it was you, Robbie, because that was awesome to, to be able I, to I had talk a about all that stuff. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. it's, you're, you're one of the bands that like I really connected with over the years. Like during that time. And it's like, I have nothing but fond memories from you and, you know, Dante, Timmy, Andy, like it was, you guys were always so fucking awesome. Like, you know, same with death by stereo. I got to throw it out there. Like that was another band that I work with a lot at the time. And like, you know, good people are good people. (laughs) Like I just hung out with Ephraim last week. And I fucking love that guy. He's one of my favorite people I've ever met in my life. He's awesome. And he always will be. But like, that's how I look at Eric and all you guys. Like, you know, our time, was only two three years but yeah it's still important to me 23 years ago or 23 yeah. years later. and like yeah you know, that's what hardcore is you make these fucking Seize the day. yeah well t- i'll tell you what i'll pass on to paul minor because he's going to mix the the first bird legs record um and then that's happening next week so when when that happens then uh i'll pass that on to him that that you say hello how about that Yes, I love Sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and gentlemen. Ben, ben, I didn't think you were going to be here. I'm glad you were here. This is so awesome. Oh, hell yeah. I wouldn't miss it for the world. I mean, if yeah, I was great. in an airplane, I wouldn't be here. But <laughs> You're not on That's the world true. at that you point, so I guess it counts. <laughs> That's a good point. Good point. Yeah. Well, stay in touch, you guys. Reach out if you can. Absolutely. And, I'll, um, Robbie, I'll yeah. loop you. I don't know if you guys have each other's. And Ben, you can. I'll, I'll send. Facebook I'll send to uh, Instagram. I'll send to the three of you yeah. as well. What's up, everybody? Tavier here. Listen, once again, I'm as I do at the end of every episode now, for a while, going to read you a list of all of our top tier patrons because I want everybody to know who our number one supporters are. That list starts here. Billy Tunnell, Brandon Gavell, Brian Skiffington, Brooklyn, Chad Keplinger, David Palmer, Dirk Focused, John Cowell, Quiet Keith, Nate of Head to Wall Fame, Ryan Walker, Ryan White, Tad Payton, Tim Shear, Tyler of the Life and Death Brigade, and Siren Records. Look, if you have any interest at all in helping us out every month, because I'm going to be real with you, it does help, head over to whereitwentpodcast.com. You can find some information, you can find some other cool stuff, blah, blah, blah. But also on Patreon, there's plenty of bonus material. And right now, I'm about to edit the rest of this episode. There's going to be like an extra hour of bonus talk about all kinds of cool shit. And you can only access that if you're a patron. So, hey, don't, don't take my word for it. Find out for yourself. And otherwise, we'll see you on the next episode. Bit of both.